Welcome to the Wonder Women podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every week I bring you interviews of two female or non-binary makers of all kinds and some of them are parents, some of them are not. Today's guest is Sarah Marriage. Uh, Sarah is a woodworker, furniture designer, maker, and she also runs um, an organization called a Workshop of Our Own, or WOO for short, um, designed to be a space for female and non-binary woodworkers and furniture makers uh, to be able to just, you know, be what they are, who they are. So I had a great time chatting with Sarah. I've been trying to get a hold of her for a while. So it was uh, really exciting for me to be able to get to chat with her. But before we hop into the interview with Sarah, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thanks so much, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Christina B., Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Toolmom Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much. Um, and with no further ado, let's hop on into the interview. And I'm going to ask that you all hang in there through all of the end as well, because there are a few announcements that I want to make sure that you uh, check out. All right, here we go. Here's Sarah Marriage. I always start my episodes with asking my guests to um, introduce themselves. So I'm going to let you do that when you're ready. Sure. Um, my name is Sarah Marriage, and I am a furniture maker and woodworking educator and administrator. I run a project called A Workshop of Our Own in Baltimore, Maryland, and we, um, we started about four years ago. April is our fourth anniversary, and we teach um, women and gender nonconforming folks in the craft of woodworking and related fields. Awesome. Um, and that's really how I found you is through Woo. And then once I found you through there, it's like everybody, mm -hmm. everybody in the furniture and craft making world uh, speaks about Sarah marriage. So um, I will say <laughs> I've been, I've been following along with you for a couple of years. Uh, you are not an easy person to get a hold of. I will say that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, um, I have 
too many email addresses and um and and so like yeah too many ways to contact me so uh that, that on top of then not being able personally to keep up with it all so i yes. apologize for that no no i i just meant that yes you're doing a lot um a lot of really good and cool things uh before we kind of dive into you know just like what your kind of i guess day-to-day -day looks like i want to just understand and know more about your story you know from kind of childhood how'd you how'd you get to where you are today oh yeah fun um, <laughs> <laughs> uh oh my story yeah i um so i was born in tulsa oklahoma uh, my parents were my mom was a teacher my dad was in grad school and then was a, um, a technical writer. Um, and then when we were, when I was about 10 years old, we moved to Anchorage, Alaska, where my dad got a job. And um, so I sort of, I sort of think of myself as growing up in Alaska. Uh, most of my childhood memories are from there. Um, and I was a nerd. I was really into math and science and and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, uh, I, I always kind of liked making things and doing art and that sort of thing, but I was definitely more on a math science track. And I, am, I was excited to go to college somewhere. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna go to the lower 48. <laughs> and uh, so I worked hard at school to like get into you know the best place I could get into and um, I ended up going to Princeton University where um, I bounced around in majors the first year and ended up in architecture worked in studied architecture for a while and um, I ended up dropping out of college I went back to Alaska and worked in like IT for a few years in the in the oil patch and um and then in 2003 my my mom got sick and i was like so my mom got sick she passed away and i was like i gotta get back to school i gotta get back on track so i went back to to princeton and then i dropped out again <laughs> and um the whole time kind of with this idea well the the first time and the second time uh, my thought was I love architecture, but what I'm really interested in is furniture and work that can be made on like a human scale. And um, and that can be a little bit more, the process can be a little bit more controlled. I was a little, you know, I was like 19 and concerned in like an overwhelming way with like the, uh, all the complicated factors of, of what it goes, what goes into making a building and like, how do you make sure that labor along every step is like ethically um, dealt with and materials are ethically sourced. And I was like, but furniture, I can just, I can, you know, furniture has a similar effect on people's lives in a fundamental way. And I could, I could do that in a way that, you know, make, make furniture without it being, um, involving too much of this sort of 
global economic system. Although, I mean, who makes my glue, right? So like, obviously <laughs> you never have full control over these things, but that was sort of the idea that led me into furniture. And um, so, yeah, so I, I left school and was like, I'm gonna be a furniture maker. And then uh, I, uh, different things happened in my life. I ended up walking dogs in New York City for a little bit. And then um, in that time I was, I had I had learned about the school, College of the Redwoods out in California. And I was like, I wanna apply, I wanna move to California, get residency and apply so I could get like state tuition and all that. And um, And along the way, uh, a friend of mine worked at this amazing structural engineering firm in Manhattan and he was leaving and he was like, you should apply for this job just, just in case you get it. And I was like, okay, so I applied and then I worked there for six years instead of going and doing my furniture thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a drafter and project manager and, um, and I worked in structural engineering in Manhattan. Um, for, for six years working on really amazing projects. It was one of those things where, even though I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, it was an opportunity to be in a world that was like really fascinating to me and really, uh, I could learn a lot and learn a lot about design. Um, we were, you know, my boss was this amazing engineer and um, thinker and, we were a small firm of like 12 people and we worked on, I mean, the first project I worked on was like cleaning up drawings for the new museum of contemporary art in Manhattan. Um, so there was this, um, it was just an opportunity that I thought was um, something I didn't want to turn down. And then, so about 10 years after I started the idea of like, I want to make furniture, I eventually got, out to California and went to the College of the Redwoods. Um, Did you get to study then with uh, Laura Mays? So I was in Laura's first two years that she nice. was the director. Yeah, uh, which was really wonderful. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know that much about the mythology around the school when I went out there. To be honest, like, uh, uh, a funny detail I think uh, is that when I arrived, I didn't even know that we went to school six days a week. <laughs> like I was like, oh wait, we go to school on Saturday. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so like I knew about like the work that came out of the school and I knew uh, I had read some of Cranov's books, the founder of the school, but um, I wasn't fully aware of like the the, I don't know, the mythology, I guess I already said that, but mm -hmm. the mythology around the school and like the um, reputation um, in the word working field. I, I just saw it as a place where I would get like extreme fundamental education in, in the thing that like I came at from a design perspective from you know, architecture school and, and, and working in with we're making drawings about concrete and steel. Um, and knowing that I really wanted to get as much like knowledge about wood and um, the technical stuff of craft jammed into my head as quickly as possible. 
Do you remember how you like discovered um, the the College of the Redwoods? Yeah, it was an ad in Fine Woodworking Magazine. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think it was like just an a little ad, and I think it mentioned James Cranov, and so that's I think I don't okay. I don't remember exactly if I found his books through the school or if I had already read one of his books and then saw the ad that mentioned him. Um, but the other way, so that's sort of like broad strokes. How did I get from, you know, a kid playing in uh, on a dead end street in Oklahoma to making, <laughs> going to school in furniture, but like sort of more specific, how did I start to learn about furniture making? The answer would be, you know, when I first dropped out of college, I was like, I don't know how to source materials, like do what, you know, I was interested in furniture as a concept and I didn't know even what materials I wanted to use. And I figured wood was probably the most accessible for me, like metal, plastic, those things seemed like they would require a lot more and specialized tools and, and PPE that would require, maybe I couldn't do it in my garage or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, okay, so I'll narrow it down to wood. But then like, all I knew about was like Home Depot, you know? Uh, so I started to go to this used bookstore and just like read everything I could about, um, you know, just like old furniture making books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that's kind of funny. That was like one of my first uh, sources as well, was going to like uh, the half price bookstore and perusing yeah. the like one shelf there was for mm -hmm. like hobby woodworkers. Um, totally. And, like and, I can imagine in my head exactly where that shelf is <laughs> in Tidal Wave Books in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same here. I can still remember the the spot in the in the bookstore. But yeah, that was uh, my uh, introduction. Though I was still very like timid about it. I mean, I picked up project books and stuff, but I didn't actually attempt anything in those books. Um, mm -hmm. It still seemed pretty mm. inaccessible, I guess. You know, because of totally. all, all the tools and everything that you have to have in order to do any of that work <laughs> yeah and then the specialized knowledge about those tools like I bought um one of my parents neighbors passed away and they were selling all of his tools in his garage and his wife was really kind to me and sold me stuff very at a you know very low cost so I, I had like my radial arm saw and I had um a router and like a bunch of different tools that added together Sarah Marriage Today looks at and goes like, oh yeah, you can make furniture with that. You're but right. like, you gotta know so much about those tools. And when it comes to hand tools in particular, like some hand tools you can just use off the bat, you know, get a file carving chisel. They're usually good to go at first until they dull, I mean, you know. Um, but like hand plane, that, there's so much tuning up you have to do. And even if you watch, I mean, we didn't have YouTube videos on tuning up a hand plane back there, but Back then, but even if you watch them today, I think if you come from this basis of like not having any knowledge about it, um, it's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard to to 
pile on all of the layers of like understanding of like this very physical activity um, mm -hmm. and learn all of it from like a book or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is your, I mean, knowing what I know about um, the Krenov School and like Laura's program there with your practice in making furniture now, do you predominantly use um, hand tools versus power tools? Hmm. No, I, uh, I do use hand tools a little bit. Um, I love a hand plane. Um, but when I first got out of the school, I was, I stuck much more closely to sort of the methodology and uh, sort of systems of, of what I learned at the Karnoff School. Um, but, you know, as, as my years trying to make money <laughs> progress and trying to figure out how to um, work with clients. I mean, working with clients is such a huge part of the job. Um, if you work with clients, I mean, there are different right. ways of, of making, yeah. Um, I, you know, started to learn to be faster and um, sometimes using a hand tool is faster. Like that's, I mean, that's the secret of the Karnoff School and other places where you learn hand tools is that, um, especially for one-off things where there's a large setup, uh, if you were gonna use a machine, being able to just very accurately and precisely do something with a hand tool in a few seconds mm -hmm. really speeds you up. But if you're making 150 of the same thing, right? <laughs> um, sometimes, uh, you know, and people aren't, it's, you're making 150 of the same thing for people that don't want to pay a whole lot, who even if you want to, you know, you, you might want everything you make to last 500 years and for people to hold on to it and give it to their grandchildren. But the fact of the matter is in the world, like that's not, not everything you make is going to be that way. And um, uh, I feel like I just said something maybe controversial, but. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, I think you said you something know, of like the reality, right, of, um, the reality of people making things in in the world currently is like we yeah. definitely like the especially in the U.S. the mindset has gone towards like an IKEA mindset, right? Something that yeah. you can just throw away when you're like done with it, versus like yeah. understanding paying paying for something that you can hand down. Like it's just I think partially a generational difference too. Like. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, my, I think, my well, grandparents yeah. would pass things down, but like people my age, it's like, no, we just go to Ikea and then we go to Ikea again when we need something different. Hi, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Tool Mom and Company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. 
the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. Sure. And, uh, you know, when I, I was talking to a collector several years ago who was like, um, he was a collector of someone else's work. Uh, and the, the the person he had collected and the other people whose work he had collected, I was talking to him about it. And like his, his, his house was just like jam packed full of like this really amazing stuff. And he was like, my kids don't want it. <laughs> uh, you know and, and so you have that problem too right of like um uh, yeah of yeah, this there's that becomes a generational element but I think you can also look I mean I'm sure there are people who who write who could write theses on this but like there's like these global economic forces of you know of consumerism that have come up through so many different parts of our lives. So like, yeah, it, like why is there a generational difference? Because of like so many different things. And you've got your HGTV shows um, promoting like change your room every month or whatever. And mm -hmm. you've got your, um, but yeah, you have this like economic drive to keep the economies going of like, once you buy something, you have to buy something again, right? And I don't know the answer to that. Just it's just sort of like how it is, and how do you fit in as a maker in that world um, mm -hmm. is is a question we all deal with. Yeah. So I mean, around that, like you go, you know, you learn how to make furniture. This thing that this I guess dream you've had for ten years. You get there. You you <laughs> get through the program. What's what's the dream from there? Is the dream to make custom pieces of furniture and that's like what you do every day that you're living i mean that was kind of my dream when i went into the school um i my dream was more i think uh an idea of um like small manufacturer you know uh like like small scale design. So like mm -hmm. I would learn how to make it. I could make a few of them. I'd create like lines of furniture, that sort of thing. But then when I went to school, I learned so much more than I expected. Just because, you know, what I always tell my students is like, you can't, you don't know what you don't know, right? Like you don't know the depths of what it is that you don't know because you don't know it. Like mm -hmm. it's a sort of a tautology, like, but it's, um, it's important to think about, I think, sometimes for students, like you have to be open to learning more than what you're expecting to learn. And um, so, yeah, at school, I became much more sensitive to like the, just the beauty of the craft and like what it was like to work with wood and the different woods and like um, 
just that that whole Cronovian idea of like um, his I forget I can't get his quote exactly right, but it's like a piece of furniture isn't just like lovely boards put together, but it's, an, it's a measurable portion of an honest craftsperson's life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I skewed a little bit closer, a little more towards like studio furniture or or like one-off client to to artist or craftsperson making when I um uh when I graduated as opposed to thinking about like having that sort of small manufacturing mindset um and you know when I first got out of school my one of my pieces got into this like important storied gallery um and so that felt like a real success it sold right away and I was like okay I'm on this track now I can work with this um but then the gallery closed like three months later because it was like the folks wanted to retire and their heyday was in the you know the 90s or whatever (laughs) (laughs) and that was you know so then I, you always have to constantly pivot in this business, especially if you're you're an individual, well, at any level, I think, in this day and age, you're just constantly pivoting to make your furniture business work. Yeah, so I guess where and when did, did it become more did you become more than a furniture maker and get into creating, you know, uh, uh, woo? Well, um, I was looking for a a new studio space. I was, um, uh, I had, I had just like won a bandsaw in a, like a people's choice competition through the furniture society at, at, at ICFF international contemporary furniture fair. And, um, that in and of itself was like, like, if you look at like the course of your life, like that's not the biggest thing in the world or like the most pivotal, pivotal <laughs> moment. But like, for me, it just was, a, it was like this moment when like my brain clicked to like, Oh wait, you could have your own shop. <laughs> You, you've got a, you have this bandsaw coming. You could just, you could do this. You could build your own shop. Um, and so, you know, uh, I applied to the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship to do their fellowship for a while. And and Peter Korn there, um, or whoever all is involved, you know, I got accepted to that and went to Maine. And, um, and I was at that time, in the process of thinking about like, where's my next step? Where, where can I find a space? I looked around in New Jersey where I was, li- I lived in Hoboken at the time and I had looked for sp- my own space there and it was, you know, it's just very expensive and I, I would like find a spot that seemed good. And then the, the person renting out of that warehouse would be like, oh, but you can't do woodworking here. There's a poet next door or whatever. Like it was always like, there was always something <laughs> like either I couldn't afford it or it was like, had to be quiet or um, anyway. So I had been talking with friends about this idea of why don't you just make a badass women's wood shop? Um, and it was on my mind and I, I applied for the John D. Minnick Furniture Fellowship, 
which is um, a yearly prize of, of about $25,000 to a young and career furniture maker. And um, I applied with the project of a workshop of our own, or WOO, in mind. And um, I, I, I got the grant and that sort of um, changed the trajectory from there. Um, I didn't, honestly, I didn't expect to get the grant. Um, so when I did, I was just incredibly like honored and grateful and excited. And, and then it was like, well, well, um, all right, time to get to work, you know? So, I, I mean, I want to, I want to, I guess, ask real quick, like, were you being, you know, up to this point, were you being successful in having your own furniture business? Um, I was, like, I didn't have the furniture line that I've been thinking of, and I wasn't, like, my gallery had closed, so I wasn't selling there. So I had switched to, um, uh, I made a lot of baby rattles. So I was making baby rattles and selling those. Um, sometimes you just got to find that product that yep. <laughs> people will do. Um, and I, uh, and I would pick up some work from um, my shop mates. So like dovetails they didn't want to cut or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, so, so no, I guess I like, mm -hmm. I wasn't making furniture, um, like capital F furniture right? <laughs> <laughs> with like, uh, with a regularity. I was, I was really, really kind of diversifying every, like just trying to get, I was hustling, right. I was yeah. like trying to get a payment from any, I was it, doing woodworking but it wasn't like I w was like able to focus specifically on making furniture. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was doing repairs, I was, yeah. Anything yeah. that came in the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I totally understand that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So when, you know, workshop of our own, it's, it's coming on, on scene. What was, I guess, what was important about creating that space for you? Um, well, at first to me, it was a very like simple idea of like, I know so many women who are in wood shops, who they're the only woman in the wood shop and um, like there's just like stuff you deal with on a daily basis that like um just makes you feel other right like you're just mm -hmm. you don't quite fit in and then there's bigger stuff that happens every now and then um that makes it even worse and then uh and I was just thinking like like wouldn't it be easier wouldn't it be easier to do our work if that stuff would just would just fall away, like if we didn't, you know, I, I think I've said this in other interviews, but like this idea of like, instead of always being the, the, 
you know, hand air quotes, woman woodworker. You could just be a woodworker in the space. And, and which is not to say that I, like, I'm not trying to say I was in a bad environment or anything. Right. Um, like this, it's not what this is about at all. It's more just about like, um, like all of these women I would talk to and me just feeling like, huh, yeah, if, if you were, you know, if that could just fall away, things would be easier and we could just get shit done, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the, I, I thought it would be a really simple, simple thing of like building a, a small, co- well, maybe not small, but like a, a cooperative shop where it would be similar to other shops I had been in where everybody pays a little rent and you cover the cost for each other or you cover the cost of the, the major overhead together and you're running your businesses. Um, and then we could have some education on top of that. You know, we could have some classes on the weekends for women and stuff. Um, but the minute I sort of made it a public idea and started to promote it was the moment it just started to transform into what it is today, which is mostly a project for um, about education and um, and providing a, a space in which people can uh, learn very, you know, beginning to advanced woodworking um, in in an environment where like we like I was just saying that like the idea of like your gender and stuff is like falls away and is not the is not a uh, a cloak that you're wearing constantly and having to like think about and be treated differently and that sort of thing um mm-hmm. and like the number of people that reached out to us right from the beginning about like people all over the country who would just email or message on Instagram, like, uh, I just heard about your project. I work in a wood shop. I'm the only woman here. And it just like makes me happy that you guys exist. I mean, those like emails will just bring you to tears, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's a lot of them. And so the project really went from away from this idea, um, we kept the idea of having like studio space available for like three years, but now we, you know, with COVID and with the reorganizing of the organization to, to grow and be stronger, we've sort of, we've pivoted to being just like entirely about education because that really seems to be the need and the, and the call from, from uh, folks mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey friends, I wanted to tell you about an awesome brand I discovered that you might love as well. Have you ever spent a ton of money on clothing that was supposed to be high performance only for it to end up at the back of your closet because it just doesn't fit right? I personally hate when this happens. I get excited about a new pair of work boots and then I'm disappointed to find out they just weren't designed for me. Discovering Athena Outfitters was a game changer for me. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women. All of their items are handpicked to meet the needs of women in the trades, not just sized down versions of items designed for men. They've got great workwear essentials like comfortable, soft, and safety toe boots and options for my active lifestyle when I'm off the clock as well. 
Shopping with Athena Outfitters saves me time and energy because I always know I'm getting a high quality product that also looks and feels great. Next time you're looking for gear with grit, check out athenaoutfitters.com. That is a-T-H-E-N-A-Outfitters.com and use special code at checkout MM15 to get a 15% discount because you listen to the Maker Mom podcast. Yeah, so I mean now because of uh, pre-COVID, were you guys offering any of the virtual classes you're doing right now? No, that was all. That all happened um, post COVID. Yeah, or I always feel like that's tricky because we're not quite post, but you know, post onset <laughs> right, of right. COVID. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you think that's gonna stay once? Oh yeah, absolutely. Past this is. Yeah, um, it's really an exciting format, and it's really. Um, uh, heartening for me and for the people who work on the project but also I think for folks or at least a portion of the folks that come to classes to see like other people out in the world um, I know I, I didn't actually talk to them personally but our education coordinator Morgan mentioned that there were um, two women in I believe Idaho uh, but a state that's not Maryland who mm. were like well we saw each other in the class and didn't realize there were other women in our area that did this and they like met through woo and that's like a really exciting thing you know yeah yeah um and you have such a an amazing lineup of people uh to to come there's amazing people out there yeah (laughs) yeah i know i i really need to like hop on uh laura's chair chair class because that's the the one project I've been avoiding uh but I want to do this year is make a chair yeah yeah nice yeah it's so good her lecture is so good um I will watch it over and over and over again um uh, yeah Laura's amazing I yeah yeah um two years with her was like so so great to be able to have that yeah not gonna lie, I'm a little jealous of it. Um, <laughs> she, she she does amazing work. Um, yeah. So, as you're bringing woo forward, moving that forward, um, what has what what's the dream now? Mm, yeah. Um, well personally during COVID I have started to get a little bit back into my own practice which is exciting so like for me personally to be making more um uh work that is like pushing ideas and boundaries and playing with playing with um uh the, the concepts of furniture as opposed like I've been making work the whole time but it's stuff like you know cabinets for the shop or or organizing things for the shop Um, or uh, we do like when we first started and for the first three years um, uh, a good portion of our revenue to keep the place going was commission work so we were 
uh, you know, we made tables for people, for conference tables, you know, those sorts of things, and um, installed fences at one point. Like, there's a lot of like that kind of work that I did with with other folks from Wu. Uh, but I'm excited to get uh, back into a little bit more of my um, personal um, body of work, and then for the project, um, uh, eventually we will be reopening the wood shop for in-person classes and um, uh, what do you call it? Open open shop hours for people to come in and work on their own projects. But um, I think for me personally, in, in, in the projects, uh, an upcoming step that I'm excited about developing is um, a, like a fellowship or residency program mm -hmm. to have people come in like, I, I still think it would be it's really important to have the the making of furniture going on around you mm -hmm. when we have these classes happening too like not just beginner classes but also like fellows in there working on a fascinating interesting stuff that these students can see and talk with and and then it's good for the fellows to be around each other and you know work to bounce ideas off I mean it's just a, an incredible creative environment that I would really love to have at Wu and um, so I'm hoping we can we can do that and then you know just growing our education program another another goal that uh, that we have is is more focused on local job training and job skills. So, um, you know, having a, a program that was like a more intensive, um, uh, <laughs> like a more intensive long form everyday kind of like uh, job training situation. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have that written up yet, but you know, working on that, I think, would be. I'm just thinking about like what I just said in like the sentence structure because I'm being recorded. But <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you get in your own head about yep. things. But yeah, yep. like job job training would be really really great, um, and and being able to uh, you know work towards. Um, making something that's very accessible and very useful and and um, and directly um, connected to getting people jobs like that would be that's a huge goal for Wu for sure. So yeah, around that, I mean, I feel like you probably have a pretty good feel for this because um, I, I you know I know you're also involved with the. The furniture society as well so like how do you feel like how do you feel about the future of furniture making of woodworking as craft like do you see a tide change coming do you see do you feel like you know that consumerism we talked about before is <laughs> maybe changing a bit? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, I think probably the, the biggest economics or, and like, like 
massive, <laughs> the biggest thing on the horizon that will majorly affect our lives, I think, is climate change. So um, how that will affect like the way people buy things, um, I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. like it's, it's such a big question. Um, I think as far as like woodworking trends, I think these things, they come and go, they're cyclical. You can see people writing about this same question, you know, 200 <laughs> years ago. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think that there will probably, at least in our lifetimes, always be people making furniture. Um, and whether, like where the next trend is coming from or going, um, you know, I think there will continue to be, and there will continue to be and be like an amplified um, focus on sustainability and mm. and and trying to save our planet. <laughs> right, right. Do you do you feel like the definition or what people think a woodworker looks like is changing? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, you know, it varies quite a lot um, mm -hmm. in different worlds. Like, I would say that, like, if you talk to, to people in, like, the Instagram woodworking world, that they would say it's it's changing, it's changing rapidly, right? Like, I think mm -hmm. in the real, in the world outside of that, I mean, like, not everyone is on Instagram and not everyone's in the Instagram woodworking community. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's much slower. Um, I think that a woman woodworker is still a novelty to most people. Um, I think that we're, I think a lot of really awesome things have happened. A lot of amazing conversations have happened around this topic. And I think that we're making progress, um, I think it's still hard for uh, folks to, um, yeah, I mean, what am I trying to say? Like, yes, I think it's sort of changing, but it's also like, there's also been trends towards like hyper-masculinity and advertising or, yeah. you know, like there's, there's been like awesome things like sawdust is man glitter or whatever, yep. like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, it ebbs and flows and um and yes i think that there there's there's slowly a change in like who people expect to be woodworkers and i think that we will hit a point where it's much more um much less surprising to people but you know back when i first started like after school, when I first got out of school for woodworking and started doing things like going to trade shows and, and craft, big craft fairs and things, um, you know, I always got that question, like, did your husband make this, you know? Uh, even in places where you'd be like, this, like bastions of liberal, whatever, like just right. <laughs> be surprised at like, really, my husband? Like so many assumptions you're making right now. Right. <laughs> um, but, um yeah so but the thing is like I haven't been going to trade shows in the last few years so I don't I wish I could say like I wish I had the data to say like if that's changed much mm -hmm. um 
I would but, say that world hasn't changed much. I I think you're you're yeah. definitely hitting on a, a point of like the world of social media. I think mm-hmm. um, is like you can see a change maybe, um, but outside of and that's with us connecting with like people, right? Like we're right. the yeah. woodworker community or or whatever, um, but when you go outside of that community um, into like the real world, I guess it's, uh, it's still, I think um, representation of that population is still very much. I mean, it's, I still get, if I'm asked and, or I say that I, you know, do woodworking um, I still get like, really? you know, like, mm-hmm. or, or if I say I make furniture, it's usually an assumption that I'm like flipping pieces that I bought, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it's not like something I, I couldn't possibly make it from hand, um, basically, right. like it from scratch. <laughs> um, so I think that's, but that's like a general population. That's not people within the craft itself. Yeah. But I mean, I think, yeah, it's important though. Like, I mean, the, the general view is um, it affects woodworkers' lives, right? Like it affects your life uh, having those conversations. And um, I, you know, it's funny, like, I think during the pandemic, I've been wearing, like the clothes I've been wearing have been less like very clearly shop clothes. Cause you know, I might spend the day working on a laptop at home or something right? and only go into the shop a little bit. And so like, I'll go to, um, like the Lowe's, like curbside pickup, and and like I I noticed I started to get treated more like less like the woodworker and more like the home consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when talking to people around there, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot what this is like because like you know all, most women woodworkers and 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 like we have we have the story we all have the story that we talk about like well you like get ready to go to the hardware store you put on your like tough face or whatever like Mm -hmm. you stand tall and you go in there like you know what you're doing just because you just don't want to deal with the like (laughs) all the sort of you know condescension and like like it's all well-meaning but it's just like I just want to deal with that um no it's not always well-meaning but you know oftentimes anyway um like one time this guy (laughs) Uh, well, we don't need to go into swapping stories about that. But the other thing I was going to say was that uh, in addition to like the Instagram community, you know, the other thing is like formal education community, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, so a lot of folks like that I know through the Furniture Society or other um, uh, other areas that are sort of in capital C craft, um, we the people will talk about like where you'll see that furniture programs at universities, right? Many of them, it's like possibly all of them, but like many of them are more than 50% women. And that is a real, um, that's like a, a real interesting anomaly, right? Because, um, and it's one of the reasons, one of the things I was thinking about when I started Woo was that uh, you know, at, at Crown School, 
the, the numbers were lower when I was there. We weren't even close to 50%. We were like 18% or something. But um, the idea was like, most women going, no, that's not true. But like a lot of women going into furniture, for sure the type of women that I was meeting on Instagram and in, in furniture mm -hmm. society were people that had gone through university programs. And then when you get out into the, you know, quote unquote real world, it is not 50% women in your in your field, right? And and most of the most of the people working in the field didn't go get an MFA, you know. Um, so like you like that's two ways in which you're very different from the folks you're working with. And um, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, that that idea too of like creating um, Wu was also is also I think a spot where people can if you can sort of bridge worlds yeah. right of like well yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I've definitely found through doing the podcast that um to be to be frank that a world existed that I didn't even know existed when I went mm -hmm. to college like I didn't know if I had gone to art school <laughs> and and right. majored in uh, sculpture that I would have actually had much better access to a wood shop than you know the route I went in in, in industry industry route and mm -hmm. so I had access to a shop but that was not its focus um, and so right. yeah it's very interesting and then most people I would feel I feel like there's a strong group of people who are just all self-taught and learning as they right. go and so, yeah, I think, I think that's what's exciting to me about Wu is like, you know, I, I learned about the College of the Redwoods when I lived in California and I so desperately wanted to go, but, you know, mm -hmm. we lived in San Diego County and uh, soon to be parents and my wife's like, there's no way in heck you're going to go for two years and live up yeah. there. Like, we're just not, that's not happening. Um, you know, and so I, I did find schooling at the community college, but still it's like the fact that Wu offers the ability that I could still go take a class with Laura Mays without going to the College of the Redwoods is something mm -hmm. that, you know, is, is a huge benefit, I think, for people not being able to or be able to go to like Penland or any of those places, mm -hmm. uh, but still get, you know, some similar education. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, we're really excited about this. The, the, the virtual education side makes it not just easier for people all over the country to take classes from WU, but it makes it easier for teachers to be able to teach at WU. Um, and even though, you know, you don't get that, like, in the room with the person cutting the wood together, like, mm -hmm. you don't get that element, but you do have... Uh, you are there live, you can ask questions, there is an interaction, there's a connection with that person that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. That um, is, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was 19, if this existed, um, it would have been, it would have been awesome. I, I might have, I might have re rebelled a little bit. Like, I think uh, one of the things about being a woman woodworker, right, is like, you're so sick of people talking about the fact that you're a woman woodworker. So I may have been like, oh, 
a place for women. I don't need that or something. But I think if I read the class listings, then I'd be like, oh, no, that's great. That's good. I'll go there. <laughs> well, that's, uh, but yeah, like, yeah, that's what's funny about I mean, that was a conversation I had with with Laura when she was on the podcast. And that was like, <laughs> actually how she got started with the kind of the making a seat at the table project and the in the book was that question that um, Deirdre had asked her, right, about being a woman woodworker. Mm-hmm. And Laura's response was like, I'm so sick of people asking me about what it's like yeah. to be a woman <laughs> woodworker. Um, yeah. But it does, it does play a role in the sense that every part of our identity, I think, plays into how we create. Just like, mm-hmm. I mean, a man's identity plays into how he creates, whether he would classify it as that or not. But um, I think, yeah, to get to a point where you can be just a woodworker, I don't, sometimes I wonder if that's removing something from your story. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, you can have both, like, you can, <laughs> you can be just a woodworker and then learning that the person, like, maybe that adds an element to learn more. The more you learn about a person's story, the more that it enriches your understanding of the object, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had people, a lot of people <laughs> ask, like, what's different, like, so so what do you have to do at Wu to teach women like what what's the difference between women education and and regular education it's like no it's it's not like we don't teach differently i mean maybe we like we have like rules like you don't touch students and things like that which is not not to say that other institutions don't have that but like we specifically talk about like never take a tool from a student never grab a student's project um so there are certain things that we've learned from being in educational environments that we've said, like, well, we want to make sure this doesn't happen. But mm-hmm. it's not because, like, that would be beneficial to a man if they were in, a, in an environment, like, to don't take that student's project. Or <laughs> um, but yeah, so, like, it's, like, it's, it's, more, it's really more about, like, having, a, like, the stigma of, of, the, of being different removed and, like, mm-hmm you know, not being watched, like you're gonna, like, just watched more than other people, you know, judged in a different way, like whether intentionally or not, it's just, it's just nice to have that. Yeah, one of the things that I have said over and over again, um, I think Meg Bai was the first person I said this to, we were in Chicago at SOFA, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I worked so hard. I was working so hard to not make my my career about being a quote unquote woman woodworker that I just ended up making my my entire life about it. You know, Um, because when I first started out, I really it's you know I think you'll probably hear this you've probably heard this over and over again, but like I didn't think of myself that way, right? Like I was like interested in making furniture and then when you present your furniture to the world all of a sudden what you hear back is like I literally I was walking to a show and I heard someone whisper I hear there's a girl that made a roll top desk which means they were talking about me 
Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. Like I wouldn't, I hadn't even thought that would be a thing. Like, and people, I saw people looking at the nameplate next to the piece and being like, oh, a girl made this. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, wow, really? Like I had not anticipated that being a factor at all. And then all of a sudden it became this thing that, you know, it's out of your control is how other people see you and um and so you know we wanted to make a space where people could be and not and not have to have that barrage, uh, barrage of <laughs> of commentary thrown at them constantly. yeah i think it depends on the where it's coming from too right like yeah i might see something at a show and say a woman made that and I mean it in the sense of like pride like this mm -hmm. is something this is somebody who's from my tribe that made this yeah. you know beautiful thing and I could see it in the eyes of like like I see it through the eyes of my kids especially my daughter mm -hmm. when we see something I mean it's less and less the older they get just because I mean mom's a woodworker so it becomes less of a novelty type thing but mm -hmm. you know when we go to like an art museum or something and we see a, a piece of furniture or sculpture um and and we're talking about like you know we say the name and and just my daughter being like oh a woman made that that's really cool like just the I guess the mm -hmm impact it can have on the youth of like because in the general broader sense they're still told unfortunately based on your gender things that you can or cannot do right um absolutely yeah representation definitely is is incredibly important and it's key and uh yeah absolutely i think uh i think uh, there are I think I was just being naive when I first started out mm -hmm. of like just not realizing that was going to be a thing and right. then it was and then, <laughs> yeah you just have to adjust and um and yeah I agree I, you know I think it's important to have that representation and, and have people of all kinds being yeah. you know their work being shown and um you know, and I think it's important for folks who, anyone who feels like itchy about that, like anyone who's like, I'm not, I don't know if I agree with that, to just remember that like people have been excluded, um, like people have been excluded because of this, not right. because their work wasn't as good. Right. So like. Um, across all that, kinds of across all kinds of things outside of just gender right like people have right, been right, exactly. excluded yeah. based on uh, the color of their skin based on their gender identity based on their sexuality like all of those right. things yeah and it all and it all like uh is a feedback loop of then and the kids you know yeah and then people believe they can't do it and then it's not you know so um yeah, it's super important to have have those things available or have yeah have things be seen. That's one of the 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 bullet points of the mission of Woo is to amplify voices and get you know like we're going to be launching a, a lecture series soon that would be like a free for everyone all genders and with the with the speakers being 
um, women and non-binary folks and, um, you know, with the idea of like, um, you know, the amplification of these words, like to, it's like not just silo ourselves yeah. in this, like it's great to have a safe space, but we also want to scream to the roof, off the rooftops, you know, scream to everyone, like, look at, look at every look at us look at this work look at this amazing right. stuff right. um and 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 make sure that we're promoting that in the larger world because like honestly you know we are we are an organization that is trying to make ourselves obsolete mm -hmm. right <laughs> yep yep absolutely um well, Sarah, we're actually, we're at the end of our time together. Ooh. Yeah. So I want to, <laughs> I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can find you, find your work, find your projects you're working on. Yeah. Um, well, yep. Yeah, my name is Sarah Marriage, just like the, uh, just like love and marriage. Um, <laughs> you can find me at a workshop of our own.com is the website or sarahmarriage.com is my personal uh, work website. Um, on Instagram, we've got at Sarah underscore marriage and at a workshop of our own. Um, you can also follow Romeo the shop cat at Romeo the shop cat. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, believe I follow Romeo as well. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, he, he is the best. Um, very sweet little guy with a bow tie um and he loves everyone who comes into the shop so his name which came from the shelter was appropriate uh yeah that's probably social media is a good way to get in touch with me or or learn about learn more about woo um yeah awesome well and thanks so we've got some great classes coming up Sorry. you do you do have some great yeah. classes so coming up be sure to check out the workshops page at a workshop of our own.com. Um, and uh, yeah, should be good. I'll be teaching again. I teach about once a quarter, so you can also look out for those, those classes. Awesome. Well, thanks, Sarah, for chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is so nice. Yeah. And this is Pippi. <laughs> Hi, Pippi. <laughs> Okay, so again, that was Sarah Marriage, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes for today's episode. You can also find those links in the description on whatever podcast app you're listening on, or if you're watching this on YouTube, just check out the description down below, and you'll find the links on how you can follow along with her. All right, so today marks the official first episode of the podcast switching from the Maker Mom podcast to full-on Wonder Woman podcast. So thank you all for your support and having that happen. And I want to just reassure you again that nothing's really going to change. I'm going to continue to do two interviews a week, have two episodes a week with female and non-binary makers. And some of those makers will be moms and some of them won't. I'm just gonna care less on whether a mom episode falls on a Wednesday or a Friday and wonder when falls on a Wednesday or Friday any of that is just going to go in the flow in order of uh, the interviews being done. 
So really no big change to you. You will see a change, however, just in the name. So if you're searching for the podcast on a podcast app, you'll just need to search for Wonder Women Podcast now instead of Maker Mom Podcast. You'll also see the change has already been made on Instagram. So if you want to follow along over there, it's just at Wonder Women Pod, P-O-D at the end there. So you can check out and follow along over there. Um, Patreon, that is still set up as Maker Mom Podcast, but that will be being changed as well. So if you are not a current subscriber, please hit subscribe, like, comment. Uh, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that is fantastic. Head over to Patreon, look at joining the tribe over there. Um, all of that helps to support producing two episodes a week, every week. And I do so very much uh, appreciate all of the support from the patrons over there now. Um, and now kind of the announcement. So I've you know mentioned little bits here and there. And if you follow along with me on my uh, Freeman Furnishings account on Instagram, then you may already be aware as well. But um, I am starting a power tool company that is aimed at designing and creating power tools for women and non-binary folks to better fit them for use. And right now I am in search of and in need of a mechanical engineer. So if any of you listening happen to be a mechanical engineer or know of a mechanical engineer who might be interested in uh, participating in a project like this and helping get the company off the ground, I would really love to talk with you um, because right now I'm a, um, banging my head against the wall a little bit. Um, I have two wonderful engineers uh, helping just kind of define the requirements that we would like to see for the first tool. Uh, but none of us feel super comfortable in our 3D modeling skills and would much rather deal with somebody who knows what they're doing. So just hit me up at freemanfurnishings at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to do that right now. I'm in the process of getting emails and it being a legit a legal entity all set up for the tool company currently. So I don't want to share any of that and end up losing that name just yet, but um, just know that that is coming and would really love to uh, connect with a mechanical engineer. All right, so it is Wednesday. I hope you all are having a fantastic part of your week so far, and I will see you all on Friday with a brand new episode.